I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Doctors of Running Virtual Roundtable, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and the science to the stuff that we're putting on our feet. Today at the roundtable is myself, Nathan, and also Matt Klein, our founder. Um, DJ is gallivanting on the East Coast, so he did not join us. He's actually in, he's been in Philly and Cape May watching his brother graduate, uh, and I used to live out East uh, in Newark, Delaware, when I went to PT school out at the University of Delaware. And so seeing him in Philly and all his pictures is bringing me a lot of nostalgia. But this is our final episode, episode number 70, our final episode of 2021. Uh, We are super thankful for what this year has been. We've maybe beat a dead horse in thanking you guys for the support, but it's been really fun to build this community with our DOR fam and just get to know you guys and um, get to know everybody who's been interacting with what we've been doing, we really want to grow in our usefulness in terms of helping you be a smarter and healthier runner. As well as if you are an, if you are a physical therapist, we hope that our content is helping you shape your practice, um, and we want to grow in our resources in that realm. If you're a running shoe store worker um, and you're helping people find shoes, we hope we're helpful in that category of people. So just we we just really want to be there for you guys and hope that we can continue to grow in that in 2022. But we are really, really excited for what we are starting off today with. We are, um, we've we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but we have started to actually generate a little bit of income because of the support that we've been having, and we've decided as a team that we want to we want to do something good with that that extends beyond running and beyond doctors of running. And so what we're what we're doing starting this month, uh, the end of December, and we'll do this at the end of every single month, is we are going to be giving 10% of all of the inc- uh, income that we have to a certain organization. And so we're just starting that process today. This is actually including all of the revenue that we've made from November through December, just because that's when things kind of ramped up for us. And we just hit, finally got things in order of how we're going to make it happen. And so Uh, Every single month, one of our contributors is going to get to choose an organization that is near and dear to their hearts and something that they're passionate about. Uh, We're going to highlight it here on the podcast, and um, we're going to be donating 10% of our revenue to that organization. And so uh, Matt, being our founder, we really wanted him to pick our first organization. So Matt, why don't you tell us what that organization is? Tell us a little bit about it and how we can learn more. So when we when we started coming up with this, the first thought, the first organization that came to my mind is Megan's Wings. And for those of you who don't know what this is, this is a phenomenal organization based in Southern California that helps uh, families that have that have children that are going through cancer diagnosis with the financial strain that comes with that. So a massive shout out to Kim and David Savage and the entire family. Their daughter Megan was diagnosed with cancer, and through the end, they were inspired to create this organization to support other families going through this. Now, when if you know someone or have a child with a cancer diagnosis, it is not only traumatic, but it is like incredibly expensive financially, it can be very straining. Megan's Wings fundraises money to help support these families, whether it be help with groceries, help with rent. It's an incredible organization. And the most functional part for running is that they have a great race that happens every year called the Megas Wings 5K. I'm a little biased because I have won it multiple years in a row. Uh, <laughs> it's one of my favorite races because it's one of the most difficult courses you'll ever run. It's in Upland, California. It is it's got about a mile straight of uphill. Hence That's amazing. The, it's, it's in Upland. It goes up. And then you you go flat and you have this long downhill. And then you have to go back uphill. So it's this big square that you have to get through. And it is a brutal course. But it's great. I love hills. But it also signifies really the challenge of trying to get through this about how difficult this can be. And really 
emphasizes how much support these families need. So it's, they have no idea I'm doing this. I'm curious if they, they watch this. I know uh, one of the family members is actually a doctor of physical therapy now, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. So we're very excited to present this first thing to Megan's Wings. So we'll be contacting them very shortly to donate. So very happy yeah. to be able to have our first one go to Megan's Wings and David and Kim Savage. Do they have a website that people can they, go to to learn more? They do. It's meganswings.org. So please take a look. Please consider donating. It is for an incredible cause and an incredible family and group of people. Yeah. And it feels like a privilege to be able to do this. So yeah. we're for this first time, uh, we're able to donate $227.81 yeah. uh, to Megan's Wings. So we're going to be doing that. And then we will list in the show notes, uh, we'll, we'll list their contact information yeah. for the website, just so that if you want to learn yeah. more about Megan's Wings and how to get involved, you can do so there. So yeah. Matt, and thank I, you. Yep. I encourage everybody to go do the 5k. I still have the course record after all these years. So I'd like somebody to eventually take that. Totally. How many people run it? That's a great question. You, we there's, there's several hundred that run. It's gotten bigger and bigger every year. Cool. That's exciting. Well, that's, that's probably the most exciting part of the show for us. And that's it. We're done. We hope that it signifies kind of the direction we want to go in 2022 and just expanding beyond ourselves. Always remembering that shoes and running is such a small, especially the shoes part. (laughs) Shoes are such a small part of this world. Uh, There's a lot going on outside of the running uh, that we do on a day-to-day basis. And there's a lot of beauty in running. And this is one of those things that's also running adjacent, which is cool, but um, they won't all be. All these organizations are, some of them will have nothing to do with running, but I think that that's part of our goal is to just making sure that, you know, as a, as a community, we're trying to remember everything else going on in the world. And, um, this is great. So thanks, Matt. And we're excited to keep doing this every single month. So check back in a month from now. And maybe, maybe what we should do on our website is start a tab. We should talk to Brock about this. We'll start a tab where we can put the contact information as well. Cause a lot of people are, most people interact with us through our website. So maybe that's what we'll do. All right. We're going to pivot. We just really briefly, Matt, is there anything that you have gotten in for test that's piquing your interest right now that you've been putting a couple miles on um, or anything you want to talk about in that realm? I knew I should have grabbed those, but I'll, I'll talk about them. Um, the I've got the Adidas Star in right now, and I actually have the older version that I bought for like 50 bucks on Amazon was still available to compare to the new one. They're totally different. Hmm. Um, the new one is not technically a stability shoe, but very much is in line with shoes like the Nike Structure, where it's like now a neutral stable shoe, if that makes sense, with some interesting methods. So that, that's been an interesting one. Uh, obviously, it's Sen 8, which we just posted the review of, has been a really phenomenal one, which is a huge, like, I'm a fanboy of just a, of that whole line. What else have we gotten in? There's some stuff that's coming. Yeah, that I'm we very we excited both, for. You've been testing yeah. all the new Hoka stuff. We don't have to yes. go into that. We're going to do yeah. probably an episode on them later. Yeah. Yeah, I've got the Supersonic here um, yeah. with the new, I, you know, they're playing around with new midsole foams, ProFly yeah. Plus. And then I just did a long run in the Carbon X3 this morning. Carbon X3 right here. Yep. Yep. And what's that? The ProFly X midsole. Yeah. Um, I'm very early in my testing on both. Uh, Well, I'm, I'm almost done with my uh, mock supersonic, which if I was going to give my two cents on it, I, if I had to say, I prefer X over Y or I don't know why I chose that, but I would prefer the Mach 4 over the Mach supersonic um, kind of all around. Interesting. That, uh, this one just feels a little bit firmer, a little bit stiffer front to back. The upper is a little bit thicker in the tongue. Yeah. And it's not as, I don't know. It just, it has, if you like a little bit firmer, more snappy, this would be it. Um, yeah. Whereas Mach has a little bit more of that soft uh, plushness through the top sole of the original ProFly. Uh, and I just, I just prefer how the Mach 4 ran to the Mach Supersonic. I said this to you guys that I think yep. that the ProFly Plus midsole is interesting and it reminds me of Quick Foam from 361. Uh, and just more of a rubbery rebound mm-hmm. than like a soft yeah. rebound. It kind of just I, has that rubbery sensation. I, I agree on that where the, the new Supersonic is not soft. It's not that got that cushy feeling where it... it you know, the Mach 4 you could use as a daily trainer. This one is less of that. Like, you got to be able yes. to handle lightweight trainers to be able to train in that. And I yeah. certainly have preferred using it for some up-tempo stuff, but 
yeah, yeah. I definitely agree with Nathan on that. So we got to keep getting miles, but yeah, we got to, I'm interesting I just stuff. got one more run probably to get in those yeah. before I'm ready to write, but, and there, you know, this is kind of a one-off release and then they're going to Mach yeah. five later. So, um, it might work for some people. And then the other one that I've got that I think just looks sharp is the Nimbus light three. Oh, dude. That and is a Matt, sharp is, looking shoe. Yeah. You need to actually run in this one, Matt, because it has yeah. an interest. The geometry is what the name of this shoe is. That's kind of what the light yeah. models are, this 3D construction. Yeah. And just the way that they have, you can see the the outsole is only on the medial yep. side of the shoe. And then yep. even just kind of like how the shaping happens on the medial and lateral side, there's a little bit of a of a support or increased pressure on the medial yeah. side of the shoe, which for people who need some mild stability. Honestly, this could be a very solid option. The foam, I will say this off the bat. I've only have one run in this. So this is very initial impressions. But the f people have asked, is the foam as soft as like the flight foam blast in the Nova Blast 1? And I absolutely not. <laughs> it is softer than the Nimbus Light 2 in the heel, but it is not as soft as flight foam blast. The forefoot is still relatively firm. There's a 10 millimeter drop and you can tell, you can tell that there's a decent drop there. So, so I'm so excited not, to get more a, miles in it. So different than this. Yeah. Different than yeah. that. <laughs> very different than the, that was the sky, right? Not the edge. Yeah. That was yeah. Sky. Very different than the yeah. sky. Very different than the sky. Okay. So there's a little teaser into what we've been testing right now. We'll have full reviews on all of those shoes coming in the next month uh, after we get all of our mileage in. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. But now we are going to jump into the main segment of, of the day. We're going to be talking about a something that we do on a day-to-day -day basis, both in runners and non-running populations and working in the clinics that we work in. And that we're going to talk about a pathology, uh, something that bothers a very large amount of runners when they who have running-related injuries, and uh, that is Achilles tendinopathy. And so Matt also is doing his kind of... Uh, dissertation work within this realm where he's doing all of his proposal studies in the world of Achilles tendinopathy. So we figured it would be a good thing for us to discuss on the podcast. And so first, Matt, if you want to just give us kind of a definition of Achilles tendinopathy, where it happens in the body, uh, just break it down all the way to that level. And let's start okay. there. Handy foot model here. Yes. So before we go any farther, so people should know that there's a, the term tendinopathy and tendinitis are not the same thing. So it's, this is referring to tendon injury. So the Achilles tendon is at the is the lowermost portion of the calf. So you have the calf muscle here, and then the tendon is that fibrous cartilage, the tissue that continues down and inserts on the back of the heel right here. So the Achilles tendon is right in this area. Some people have longer, shorter ones. Um, Tendinitis refers to an acute inflammation, meaning it just happened. It just got irritated. It's the first time this has happened. You can have acute on chronic. Um, tendinopathy means you've got a more of a chronic degeneration or chronic pathology of the tendon. Uh, it's really hard to define this because even to this day in the literature, they're having a, a difficult time with that. But it, the, the, the literal definition is chronic intertendinous degeneration of the tendon, which comes from a multifactorial et etiology, means... It's complicated. There's a lot of things going on, but it really <laughs> refers to a chronic irritation of the tendon. And a chronic versus acute irritation are two very different things. And most of the time, especially when it comes to athletes, even recreational athletes, it's not acute. It didn't just happen. It's probably been sitting there for a while. We'll talk about mm -hmm. why. And that's why a lot of times you'll take meds and stuff like that. If it doesn't work, don't freak out. That just helps you figure out more of what stage it's in. But that mm -hmm. talk to a medical professional. So tendinopathy is is a little complicated, but we'll try to get this a little bit more clear for you. And it refers totally. specifically to again the Achilles tendon. There's two places that the, that they've really classified this is mid portion Achilles tendinopathy and insertional tendinopathy, meaning it's where it goes into the bone. Those are two. They have two different sets of kind of risk factors, or at least so, yep. as far as we think. 
different risk factors and different yep. treatment protocols. We'll, yes. we'll, go, we'll kind of break down the, those down again. But yeah. he, like you said, mid-portion would be, mean in the middle of the tendon. Insertional would be where it meets the bone. Um, right. And one thing before we go farther, Matt, maybe we'd talk a little bit about what is a, te- what is a tendon? What's a tendon sure. made out of? And Because we're going to talk about things like collagen. So why don't, why don't right. you tell us a little bit about what is a tendon? So tendons are different than muscles. Usually most people just assume the whole thing is a muscle. It's not. So the muscle is the actual contractile tissue. It's the thing that contracts and creates force. The tendon is, is a thing, is a, is a fiber cartilage tissue that connects from the actual muscle. It connects a muscle to a bone, right? It's kind of, how would you describe this? It's not a lever, but it's, it's just that additional, it increases the lever arm for the muscle and allows it to to create torque in a better way. It doesn't contract. Um, it is very much alive. It does not have the same blood flow as muscles, which can make healing a little bit more difficult, but it's very important and mm-hmm. is, again, the connection point between a muscle and a bone. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, I think those are the biggest things. It's that connection point. It's non-contractile. It's made out of right. collagen um, and it has different layers within it. So there's yep. like the big sheath around the whole tendon. Yep. And then there's little bundles of tendons. It kind of, right. there's an explosion diagram of little tendons within yep. tendons within tendons. Right. Uh, but for the sake of kind of what we'll talk about later, just remember that collagen is a non-contractile tissue that um, has less of a blood supply than something like a muscle. Uh, and that will come into play in right. terms of how it how it yeah. recovers and what time what time right. lines it needs to heal. And it's got very interesting structures. And depending on where you're at the body, they're slightly different, but they have these very intricate setups so they can handle all of the force that the muscle creates. And the problem with tendinopathies is it's the tendinopathies basically you've injured it and it's not getting time to heal or it's not healing in a correct way. And that structure becomes a little less organized because your body's just trying to throw whatever it can at it. And we'll talk a little bit about how you can change that. There's ways to change that. Yeah. So a little bit about prevalence and incidence. I'll kind of run through some numbers that we ran through before the, before the episode, but in terms of running related injuries, it's typically when you're looking at different, there's different numbers for every different systematic review and meta-analysis, but um, it's usually in the top five to 10 for the prevalence when it comes to all running related injuries, usually following things like patellofemoral pain or what we call runners, people call runner's knee um, and a couple others like that. But it's, it's a, one of the more prevalent when it comes to all running related injuries, at least 5% of all recreational runners will have a symptomatic Achilles tendinopathy at one time or another. Um, and, and, and go ahead, Matt. And fun fact, I don't mean to scare people, but at least half, there's some evidence to suggest at least half of male distance runners have asymptomatic Achilles tendinopathy and at least one tendon. I mean, you can't feel it, but you probably have it. So some of the words of wisdom you might want to exercise wise might be helpful. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the interesting thing about that, just to say asymptomatic versus symptomatic basically means right. that if we took imaging of each tendon, they would look the same. One person would say, I hurt. The other person would say, I don't hurt. So the tendons would look the same between these two people, but one of them has a painful tendon. One of them doesn't. Why that is, is a little bit more of a mystery, but uh, that's what makes doing physical therapy challenging. And I've had, I've had plenty of people say, what I don't like about physical therapy is that say it, they say it depends a lot. And they, they think that we're a little bit wishy-washy sometimes when it comes to diagnosis and treatment and, and I think the reality is that as you dive into a profession where you're working with pain, you you learn that the research is not clear enough to have definitive answers all the time. And so we have to live in the world of it's going to depend and we have to try a certain pathway with a patient first, having them understand why we're going that path, also knowing we might have to shift because there isn't a perfect diagnostic criteria for tendinopathy versus tendinitis, like Matt was saying either. Yep. And there's so many factors that go into this. So people always want, oh, what's the one thing I do for this? And the people will email us and we'll say, well, we'd have to evaluate you because there's, you know, every, there's so many varieties of things that can influence this, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many different reasons, right? So there's, there's not just in the general population too, this, there's almost a third of people have Achilles tendinopathy and at least one tendon that, that mm-hmm. are not active. So it's mm-hmm. super common. There's other things that can that can influence this. There's certain kind of medications that can do this. There's certain kind of like those with diabetes can influence this kind of stuff. So there's a lot of factors 
that go into that. It's part of what we do is you take a history from the patient, you kind of figure out what's going on, you do an assessment, and that's part of being able to narrow down that stuff. But just hearing, oh, my heel hurts, that can be a million things. And so that's yeah. why people get frustrated and like, oh, it depends. The answer is it depends. We have to do an evaluation to figure out what based on your body is causing this. Mm -hmm. It's not just one thing. There's many yep. things that can that do this, but the nice thing is the, most of them are treatable. You just got to make sure you have the right treatment. So let's dive in a little bit into one more thing before we make this a mm -hmm. little bit or two things before we make it a little bit more mm -hmm. actionable uh, pathoanatomy. Mm -hmm. So yeah. how, how does a tendon start to break down? What does that even mean? Um, and w let's not talk about like tearing your Achilles, like Kevin Durant. Um, that's where, it, where it totally that's not, rips. We're not, we're yeah. not talking that. Let's talk about how does a tendinopathy develop? What are the current thoughts the, on that? Fun fact about that is if you have pain in your tendon, you are almost, you are like almost hundred percent, not likely to rupture it because the pain will stop you from generating enough force to go through that tendon. Your body will stop you. So I get people all the time going, Oh my God, you know, my, my Achilles hurts. I'm so afraid of rupturing. I'm like, your body is not going to let you. That's what that pain is for. It's a protective mechanism. You got to go stop. So get that's fun that. but yeah so from a from a patho anatomy standpoint there is a lot of things that can influence this um there one of the biggest things we know is a lot of the people with achilles tendinopathy tend to have decreased calf strength right because the calf muscle is there to be able to support it goes through the tendon we know that overtraining can certainly be something that influences influences this because you can overwork the tendon right that thing's got to bend if, if for running it's your calf and your achilles is the most commonly used muscle and tendon for propulsion so mm -hmm. you're going to be using it a lot regardless mm -hmm. so there's always a risk for overuse where you just kind of work it enough and it doesn't get enough time to heal and so it kind of starts to break down a little bit and your body starts again remember that structure thing where people you know you get it gets a little injured the body throws stuff down but it doesn't get a chance to heal so it just kind of starts throwing whatever it can at it that's one mechanism. There's also certain biomechanics that can influence this. So we know that people that have not enough calf strength, so they tend to get a little bit too much ankle dorsiflexion. So this goes too far and the tendon gets uh, strained where it's going, it's going, getting pulled too far. Too much stretch through the tendon. Too much stretch. Yeah. A stretch strain that can, that can stress this, that can cause this stuff over a long period of time. We've also learned that compression going the other way can also, if you do not have enough dorsiflexion, can also do, can also cause that. The other thing, one of the other, other things we've known is uh, too much pronation or ankle eversion can actually cause some rotational stress. And this is one of the few things that has good evidence to suggest, hey, a shoe with arch support can actually be helpful as you're trying to rehab or get through this. So the, the eversion is as you collapse, the tendon, the calf muscle, even though it's not a primary inverter, resists eversion it does that so the the way it gets lengthened and torqued can cause some torsional stress mm -hmm. and shearing of the tendon so that's another thing uh we have some early evidence that people that don't have enough hip strength can also put stress on this area because instead of getting a nice contribution from both your hip extensors your butt and your calf you're having to overwork your calf and so that stresses that achilles even more so there's a lot of things that can influence this. A lot of this stuff we're still trying to figure out. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of pathomechanics that can that can influence this. Yeah, but it really comes down to basically it gets overworked, doesn't get enough time to heal, and then it kind of gets stuck in a chronic inflammatory, not chronic irritation. It just yeah. sticks around. So this is commonly one of those things where you rest it, it gets better for a little bit, and then it flares up again. And you're like, well, I thought I had, I rested it. It's like, yeah, you didn't address the fact that this is the structure of the tendon has changed because it got beaten up a lot. Yeah. And so you you were able to touch on a lot of the kind of mechanisms of injury. Yep. You, I mean, if you broke them down into two categories, one would be yep. too much strain, which would be right. too much stretch that's repetitive. Right. And it just yep. the, the amount of strength within your tendon wasn't able to handle that. And then yep. you also brought up the idea of too much compression where more mm. on like the heel strike side of things, yes. you are compressing the tendon together and that's mm -hmm. causing some irritation. One other piece of this, when we talk about going less of mechanism injury, more yeah. of what's happening inside of the tendon, what are the changes going on there? And the ideas on this are actually changing right now a bit. Uh, but the idea Matt talked about is being stuck in that cycle is that the collagen, which are the fibers that make up the uh, strength and the tensile loading of a tendon, 
instead of being directed in the direction of pull that the tendon should have, so imagine like a rope and the, the strings that pull on the rope are in the direction that the rope resists. Whereas if you were to pull a rope, I wish I had a rope with me. Shoestring, that'll work for those who are watching. So if I pull the rope in the direction of the fibers, it's strong and it resists that. But if I pull it not in the direction of the fibers, it doesn't really do much to help out. And so what happens in an unhealthy tendon is instead of the collagen being oriented in the direction of the pull, so from the calf down to the uh, calcaneus or the heel bone, instead of that being the orientation, they start to be oriented a little bit in an oblique way. And so when they're oriented in that oblique way, they're not able to handle the tensile loading that they should be able to. And then when you take rest, they don't fix themselves correctly. And so you're stuck in this cycle of the tendon being unhealthy and then just staying unhealthy. Unhealthy meaning part of it. And again, the thoughts on this are changing, but that the collagen orientation is not the appropriate direction. So that's part of how uh, rehab comes into play, which we will jump into very soon. But I think that's another part of the pathoanatomy is that it's not inflammatory markers just jumping into a tendon causing pain and swelling. That's not typically what it is. Um, it's this mismatch of the matrix of the collagen fibers in the tendon itself. Uh, I did have, I had one other thing I wanted to say. This also gets challenging from a pain perspective, because from our understanding of current pain science, when you have anything that's been going on for this long, you can get a little bit of what's called cortical smudging, meaning you might start to lose sense of where exactly your pain is. So I have patients that come in all the time going, you know, I'm not really like it used to be here and now it's kind of like all over this area. That's, that's very normal from the literature we've seen, even on just Achilles tendinopathy, you can have pain very close and not specifically in that area. Cause there's all kinds, as, as the body tries to fix that, that matrix, that collagen matrix, that's kind of getting a little bit, there's some suggestion that you can actually get by accident, a little bit of nerve tissue involved in there when it's not split, like it actually grows in there. And they can get a little extra sensitized. Your brain kind of loses track of like, where is this? This has been going on so long. I'm kind of getting used to it, but I'm losing track of it. So pain is very difficult to quantify when it comes to chronic tendinopathies. So people right. are like, hey, I'm not sure where it is. Don't worry. That's normal. That's very normal. And so, yeah, and sometimes it'll hurt. Sometimes it won't. It's your brain's having a little trouble picking up where it is. That's a concept yeah. called cortical smudging. That's a good point. Two other things I wanted to bring up when you're, when you're sitting there thinking about, do I have, is, is it my Achilles? What's going on? Yeah. Um, a couple other symptoms that people or signs that people might see is like, if you, if they rub their fingers down their Achilles, they have this big bump on their Achilles. Yep. The other thing that they might notice is that on their heel bone, there's a, like a outgrowth of their heel bone. Yep. Um, that's called a Haglund's deformity. And so Matt, I want you to talk a little bit about Haglund's yeah. deformity stuff. Yep. What we know about Haglund's deformity, as well as the kind of the, uh, growth in the tendon that that is seen mid portion uh, of the tendon sometimes. And then the other thing that I wanted to mention was when people talk about heel pain, one of the biggest things you have to ask yourself, is it the back of the heel, like behind, like right underneath my calf back of the heel, or is it my heel like underneath? Because it's underneath, we're not looking at Achilles tendinopathy anymore. Mm -hmm. We're looking at something else, which we'll talk about some other episode. That, but that's Matt, why, why don't you... No offense to other healthcare professionals, but when I get a referral that says heel pain, I'm going, thank you. That does not help me at all. That could be right. a million things. <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little bit about Haglund's deformities. Are those necessarily bad? Are they okay? Are they good? And what about the, the, the nodules that people can notice in their tendons? Um, you can certainly get nodules in the tendon. And that's just, again, that same thing where it's things are kind of breaking down and like your body's just trying to throw whatever it can at it. So you can get a little bit of outgrowth. That's not abnormal. Don't freak out. So it does happen. And you can have people that are non-symptomatic have those. You can get, I've had people get through rehab, get back to running at a very high level, still have the nodule and have it be non-symptomatic. So that happens. Okay. Um, the Haglund deformity is where this area usually starts to grow out. That's not to be confused with when you can actually get a bursal irritation. So there's several bursts or small fluid filled sacs that are supposed to decrease friction. Those can also swell and sometimes look like Achilles tendinopathy or look like a Haglund deformity and not be. So always make sure because a Haglund you'll push on it. It will be very hard. It's bone. So a Haglund deformity is it's where the Achilles inserts in here. And the, the bone is essentially responding to the stre excessive stress 
place from the, the, the Achilles being pulled there. So there's something called Wolf's Law of Bone Remodeling that states the bone will adapt to the force placed upon it. So that's your body's way of going, hey, there's a little too much stress here that we're going to grow this out because we're going to try to make sure we stabilize the bone so it doesn't break. I know that sounds terrifying, but your body's pretty resilient. Now, that becomes a little problematic because when that thing starts to grow out, that it can actually, some of the bone can grow into the tendon, so the tendon can calcify a little bit. You can also get that higher up. Um, but this can also just get super uncomfortable. And I have this on both sides of my um, feet, on my on my calcaneus. And what it usually means is you just got to be really careful with heel counters and how stiff the back of the shoe is because that the area can get a little bit sensitive at times. Mine are not sensitive at all right now, but that's why I always comment on heel counters because really stiff ones can be irritable if not done right for me. Other people that might not have that issue, but that's why I always comment on that. And that's what that thing is. Some people call it a pump bump haggling for me. It's an outgrowth usually of the bone in response to the stress that's yeah. being placed there. So let's talk a little bit about treatment uh, for hmm. Achilles tendinopathy. So, and, and our specialty is going to be within non-operative, very conservative uh, rehabilitation mm -hmm. measures. There are other options for people. There are non-operative procedures. There are injections. There are surgeries. Yep. You know, what do you typically see? What do you recommend? Uh, you know, because people are going to get recommendations from a healthcare provider, and it's going to usually involve what's what their tool belt has in it. So if you go to a surgeon, right. they're going to recommend surgery. Or right. if if they if you go see an orthopedist who does injections or 10x procedures, yep. you're going to get the recommendation from the healthcare provider that you see. If you go to a PT, you're going to hear a lot about the rehab options. Right. So we we can't give you the expert knowledge on all of those, but give us a little outlay of what are some treatment options for people. What are the smartest, best, and first steps? So the biggest steps you without, should take first. I should say yeah. too, without without going into details about rehab, we'll do that right. later. The based on the current evidence, the you should try conservative rehab first before anything else. Um, surgery should always be a last attempt if everything else has failed. I think it's after like six to eight months, if not longer. Mm -hmm. So you should get, and this is not just inconsistent. Like you should be getting after this yep. um, for six to eight months until it. Like if you're going like once a month, that's not enough. And if you're only do, like exercising once a week or something like that, then doing rehab. You, we're talking like six plus months of really getting after this thing before you ever consider any kind of surgical option because any surgery on the Achilles tendon is really hard to come back to because you got to have a good surgeon and full respect to all the surgeons that do Achilles repairs really well. Yeah, You have to get the tension on that tendon just right or you mess everything up and it totally changes the biomechanics of the ankle. So it's really hard, full respect to the surgeons, but that's why I'm like last ditch effort. Some of the injections out there are very hit or miss. We're getting more information on like prolotherapy and stuff like that, where it's just not, we're not seeing the outcomes we would really hope for. What, um, what do you mean by prolotherapy? Oh, um, why am I having a brain fart right now? Like a lot of your... Um, Platelet-rich plasma yeah, injections. Yeah, like PRP and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. It's so ways really, to, the idea behind prolotherapy yeah. is to like improve yeah. healing mechanisms within your own body. So platelet rich right. plasma would mean putting in blood that helps with the healing response, like right. putting in more blood in that area to right. help with that. So, and other types of therapies like that. And so some of the stuff we, some people, it, it seems to just randomly work, but the overall thing is it doesn't, the outcomes don't seem to be very great. Um, I don't have any good evidence. They're still, they don't understand the mechanism. I think why my guess, you know, you know, just saying this is not being a tendon expert would, I think, again, because you have that abnormal collagen matrix that you have to help that remodel. And so that's, that's coming from a bias in rehab, but we'll talk about that in just a second. So what about, what you, about corticosteroid injections and tendons? Yeah. You always want to be really careful of those again, last ditch effort, but you have yeah. to realize corticosteroids will cause like, if you use that too much, will cause cartilage generation. So that can actually long-term put you at risk for ruptures and other degenerate, like degeneration of other cartilage. So you want, again, not, there are plenty of people that will do well in terms of being able to calm down when things get irritated, but mm -hmm. it's not, it, it'll make you feel good for three couple months, but oftentimes you also got to change why it's happening. Yeah. So you gotta be careful with those. I think, I think what my, my take on that yeah. uh, as well is, 
when it comes to corticosteroid injections, the idea behind corticosteroids is to decrease inflammation. And so if you don't have a mechanism of injury that is purely inflammatory in nature, it's only going to help with part of the problem. And right. because of the potential negative effects of corticosteroid injections, particularly in tendons, I always, rec I, I always give people caution before they would jump into it. There are other areas where it's, mm -hmm. you know what, try your corticosteroid injection. Like go try it because of this scenario, Achilles right. tendinopathy, chronic Achilles tendinopathy is not one of those scenarios to go jump in and just try an injection to see if it works. That's, that's not where I go uh, right. from it as well. So right. I, th I think when it comes to these chronic things, they can feel scary or it can even get intense. Achilles pain can be very sharp and that can feel scary, but that doesn't mean you should go jump into something where they're injecting something in or doing some kind of surgery. Not because I'm against any of those things, but because the evidence for those things is not super strong um, right now. And so you should, we, we would recommend, obviously we're PTs and we're going to have some bias there, but you should go in and you should try good rehabilitation. And let's switch into talking about what that means. So the first thing I'm going to say about rehab is that when we talked about tendon health, we talked about a little bit what the matrix looks like and that the instead of being oriented directly in the direction of pull, there can be some mismatch of the fibers. Sometimes the tendon thickens uh, because it is trying to get bigger, but it's actually getting weaker. So it's bigger, but weaker. And that's sometimes why some people can get that kind of bulge. To do a program, and we'll talk about what that program can mean, but to do a program that can move your tendon fibers from being oblique to parallel is going to take at least nine months of consistent work. That doesn't mean your pain is going to be there for nine months, but it takes nine months of consistent work to be able to get the collagen fibers to orient differently. So when I, when I work with people, our first day is talking all about expectations. And if you have Achilles tendinopathy, you have to commit to a program for nine months. Otherwise it's probably going to come back. So that's usually and what you, I tell people. And that's the hard part is usually when you start these rehab programs, if it's effective, it, your pain will start going away, right? You're improving strength. Br your brain will start going, hey, I can actually handle load. I don't need to generate as much pain here. Some of the, the chronic markers will start to decrease that you know are associated that can cause some symptoms. But the problem is to really get that long-term change, you have to keep going even mm -hmm. after it stops. And so yep. that that's where people kind of run into a little challenge yep. there. But when, when I talk to people, I usually tell them, I just want you to think about, this is like brushing your teeth. Yep. You know, I give people like one or two exercises and I'm like, this is what I just want you to keep doing. Yep. Keep working on this, loading this, and this just becomes part of your, your routine. Yep. And I should have said this before we even started this segment, but none of this can be substituted for medical advice. We are just trying to talk educationally about this topic. Yeah. Um, we, you know, this is not meant to be your rehab. This is not meant to, right. to make your decisions for you. Right. This is not what this is about because each person's an individual. So right. this is not that. But what we want to talk about now is kind of broadly, broad strokes, because we right. can't give a, a prescription for this. But right. what does rehab entail to help recover from Achilles tendinopathy? Right. For me, when I look, part one is, yeah, there, we'll talk about some evidence on some stuff that you can do directly to the Achilles and calf. But part one is doing a biomechanical analysis and understanding why the tendon's getting stressed in the first place. And that's definitely where Nathan's comment going, we can't give you specific advice is because each person's going to be totally different. Is it because you have too much dorsiflexion, too little? Do you have too stiff a calf, too, too loose? Do you have enough calf strength? Do you have enough hip strength? Each person is going to have a different factor or factors that are playing into this. That's why it's best to go get evaluated in person. Um, so again, finding the source of why this thing is getting stressed is part one. Part two for the actual rehab of the tendon, you actually have a lot more options. So there's a funny story on this about, so people may have heard of eccentric exercise before, and that's when the eccentric component of exercise is when you put tension on a muscle and then you lengthen it. So if I'm doing bicep curls is a big example. If I'm pulling up, most people will do good on the concentric part where they're lifting up, but then they let it drop. You're missing the eccentric component. Eccentric is, again, you're fighting gravity and slowly dropping that weight down. That's the eccentric component. That does, that's the most force you can place on a tendon and muscle and also does the most damage. That's why 
if you do a long downhill run, you're going to be way more sore than if you do an uphill run because the downhill has more eccentric component. You get more of your muscle quads, tissue, tissue damage. Of your quads specifically, yeah. Um, so the story behind Achilles tendinopathy and, and eccentrics is there was a surgeon who had chronic Achilles issues and he was a runner. And he really wanted his boss, who was also a surgeon, to operate on him. The boss was like, I'm, I'm not doing this. This is No, you like just got to deal with this or stop running. And so he decided that he was going to rupture his own Achilles to force surgery. So he put on this really heavy backpack and he put, stood on the edge of a step and kept slowly dropping his heel down. I forget how many of these he did. He stood up and these are like reverse heel raises, so heel drops. And he kept doing this and doing this and doing this and actually his symptoms started improving. And he's like, wait a minute, what? And so I don't, I don't actually know if that story is true. I've heard that repeated <laughs> many, many times. It sounds cool, but eccentrics we have found because they create enough tensile load through the tendon, we've discovered that those can actually help you remodel the tendon. To be a little careful because they're potent. They can make you really sore. They can also cause some symptoms. But if you do them in a very structured way, you can actually remodel the tendon. You can increase mm -hmm. the appropriate stiffness. You can increase the strength of the tendon. We didn't know that. We didn't know we could change the structure of the tendon, change the strength and the tissue capability of the tendon. But that's one way you can do this. So I'm going to give a couple caveats on that. So when yeah. it come, one, one of the things that we talk about, he talked about restructuring tendons. Again, yep. I when I talk to people about this and I give them some kind of loading, um, if let's just say it's eccentrics. Yep. Imagine there are other options we'll talk about. There are yeah. other options. Imagine your tendons at 45 degrees. Let's say you do, and this is, this is not true. This is exaggerated, but this yep. is the concept. Tendons at 45 degrees, you do a load of eccentrics and then you let it rest. We'll talk about how long. Then it, the, because you did eccentrics, it tore down this tendon collagen fiber a little bit, and then it's going to restructure and it's going to decide to restructure more towards the orientation that you just pulled it. And so because you pulled it more towards vertical, when it restructures, it's going to take a little tick, boop, little tick towards vertical. And that's where kind of that restructuring comes into play. And that whole process of going from, quote, you know, from 45 degrees up to, to vertical is that nine-month process. And so um, one of the things that I'm going to add in there in terms of timing is if you're doing he any heavy loading you need 36 to 52 hours between heavy loading exercises because to remodel a collagen fiber within your tendon, that's the time that it takes. Right. Some muscles are going to recover more quickly than that, but tendons need 36 to 52 hours. So you can't do heavy yeah. tendon loading on back-to-back -back days. You have to give it a day in between. The other thing that they're finding in the literature, um, early on they studied eccentrics all the time. That was the right. type that was studied and they've switched that to say, is it really the eccentrics or is it just the amount? And it's really just the amount. And so if you did concentric heel raises with a ton of weight, it's the same as if you were doing eccentrics with a little bit less weight. If you did more higher velocity movement with your tendon, which is a higher amount of load, that's the same as if you were doing like a slower, less weight eccentric. And so it's all relative to how much load can you get through the tendon right. to promote again, that tick from right. 45 degrees towards vertical right. with the rest in between rest is important. Well, and so you'll, you're, you'll eccentrics was kind of the original thing. And, and Nathan brings up a really awesome point because back in the day, the protocol was you did like 200 to 250 heel drops every single day. And that was supposed to help your model. And now we know, again, it's really about load. You can do concentric eccentric, it's really just getting that tendon model and giving it enough time to heal. So there, there's another thing out there called HSR, which is heavy, slow resistance training, where yeah. you move very, very slowly with a ton of weight. Um, the only, there's actually been some interesting comparison research. And I think the, one of the reasons why that has actually had a little better outcomes than some of the other stuff is because you do less reps. People like it more because it makes them feel stronger and they have to spend less time on it. So people are more <laughs> adherent to it. Hey, it's not bad. Funny. It's not bad. You got to think about these factors, right? What are people going to be keep doing? Mm -hmm. So it's the same concept. Heavy slow resistance training is just moving slowly. You're increasing, you know, so it's more controlled. You're getting nervous system stuff involved. You're able to produce more weight, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to load. So can you progress the load? And with running, especially long-term, you can't just do slow stuff. You eventually have to move to, as Nathan mentioned, like plyometric or fast activities, because 
fast eccentric is the most force you can put through a tendon and a muscle. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get used to running, which is a lot of that, you have to start prepping people for doing jumping. Now, do not start with jumping immediately. Like any rehab, you have to progress into it. And, and this you is where you need, that's yeah. where you need, that's where you need a PT to help you. Right. That's, that's why you can't take what again, we're saying and just go do it. Right. Right. That's, that's something I, I find often is missing in a lot of rehab is people don't take people to that, that stage. So that is very important. Um, especially when it comes to remodeling that yeah. tendon, that goes into that nine month process where a lot of people don't get there and they lay, they're pain free. They get back to running and all of a sudden it's like, ah, this is starting to bug me a little bit. I got to yep. go back. It's like, you didn't do the last bit of homework. Yep. So there, again, the concept it, exercises are not magic, right? There's no magic exercise. The concept behind it is loading the tendon enough that it remodels. You give it enough time, increase that load until it's functionally similar to running and then running actually becomes your rehab yeah. and you have to progress that as well. So people forget that. And a lot of times they'll just jump back into going, oh, I'm going to run normal, normal mileage. It's like, no, you have to ease back into that. And you got to pay attention to the same way you do your exercises. Yeah. I have two or maybe one. I can't remember what the other one was, but on the note of running. Oh, I remember. I'm going to, I'll come back to the running note. I think if we just we'll kind of wrap up a little bit of this conversation on rehab parts of it. But if we were to, if we were to give categories one, the biggest category for chronic Achilles tendinopathy is going to be a good tendon loading program, which is what kind of includes the components that we just talked about. Right. It's also going to involve making sure that your ankle has enough mobility. It's going to involve treating the calf muscles themselves, making sure that everything like your stabilizing muscles, like your tib post, your peroneals, right. they're doing their jobs that your calf isn't taking that again, looking up the chain at your hamstrings and your glutes, making sure that they're contributing to that part of the rehab, all of that is part of the rehab process. So there's the tendon loading program, which I think is the crux of changing the pathoanatomy. Uh, that's probably our most potent thing that we have right. there. But then you have to address the rest of the mechanical, biomechanical chain, the kinetic chain. And so yep. that's kind of the rehab umbrella. There's also a study right. done at kind of looking at that question. Do you need to stop running when you have Achilles tendinopathy? And the answer is no, which is I almost like don't even want to say that to runners because that means they're going to go run like crazy. But they had two groups. One group did this, they both did the same rehab program with the tendon loading program. One got to continue running. One did not continue running and they both did the exact same, which is great news. The group that continued running didn't just have free reign to do whatever the heck they wanted. They had to, they ended up following something called the pain monitoring model. The pain monitoring model basically said, if your pain is less than a five out of 10, you can continue. If it's more than a five out of the 10, you need to stop. And also if your pain worsens week to week, you need to dial back. If it stays the same, you can continue. So they, they followed this detailed description of the pain monitoring model. You could go look that up. You could look up pain monitoring model and Achilles tendinopathy. Um, that is the, how they progressed running. And so the exciting thing is you can run. The not exciting thing is that it's not just whatever the heck you want. You actually have to be disciplined and listening to your symptoms and not lying to yourself. Usually what I tell people when it comes to what's a five out of 10, because everyone experiences pain different. I usually say if it goes from achy to starting to be sharp or on the edge of sharp, uh, that is when I say you've gone from a four to a five and that's your time to back it down. And then week to week pain because day to day things are going to change. That's the nature of tendons. But if week to week you're noticing, I used to walk pain free. Now it hurts when I walk, or I used to go up or down stairs pain free. And now that stuff hurts. That's where you can start to know okay, week to week, I'm making some negative uh, movement and I need to alter right. what I'm doing. So let's transition because we are going a little bit long here. Let's talk for a quick second about prevention. We don't, there's usually not statistics on prevention because it's hard to study prevention, but what would make sense to you, Matt, from what causes this stuff? What would make sense from a prevention standpoint? Oh, wait. Oh, we do have, I think one other thing we can talk about is running gate changes. Oh, we should do a whole, we should do a whole thing on running gate changes. Yeah. We'll, we'll do that. We should do that later. Okay. But yeah. That's going to uh, take way too long. Yeah, it does. Okay. Let's talk about prevention. What would you say yeah. if somebody's like, Hey, I want to keep my tendons healthy. What would you say they should yeah. do? Are you, do they have Achilles tendon <laughs> or they don't? No. So 
the number one thing you can do is is stay strong. And you, we harp on this all the time, and you'll hear this very commonly from PTs. Strength training is one of the most important things you can do, right? Also training smart, right? So not avoiding overtraining, doing the right kind of strength training. So working on hip strength, working on ankle strength, calf strength. That's probably the biggest thing. And you don't. it doesn't have to be a specific eccentric or HSR. It just needs to be something that builds a little bit of resiliency in the tendons and muscles. That's probably the biggest thing I can think of. Mm -hmm. um, be cautious with shoe changes that are drastic, right? Like, or switching shoes too suddenly, like going from, say, like, if you went from a Brooks Adrenaline to an Ultra in, like, the span of a day, and that, you know, that's probably something you should avoid because any sudden change, whether it be exercise, footwear, anything, can certainly irritate things. So just be strength train and be smart with your training and your mm -hmm. gear choices. Yep. Yeah, strength train, have enough mobility in your ankle. Yeah. Um, I think that there's some some nice stretches you can do for your calves. Also, joint mobi mobilizations where you can yeah. take a band. I don't know if we – maybe we'll drop a video on like our Instagram of yep. how to do an ankle mobility stretch where you put like yeah. a band that sits way down low on your front ankle, sits mm -hmm. behind your back when you kind of rock forward, just trying to create a dorsiflexion. Yeah, you, but, you wrap the band right around here and then yeah. keep going over it. Yeah, and it like kind of that. is well, pulling backwards. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll put a video up on kind of Achilles yeah. Achilles health program yeah. or something. But because that's easy. If somebody's not hurt, we can give them some yeah. recommendations. We'll yeah. do that. If, if you are a runner, you should be able to do 25 single leg heel races, by the way, without stopping. Good ones. Yes, good ones. Controlled. Yeah. Set, a, yeah. set, a, set a metronome to 60 beats yeah. per second. And then it's each click is up, down up, down, up, down, and do 25 like that. Yep. It's cool. a very interesting research on like metronome or like metronome-based exercise, especially if you're like tendon stuff is interesting. Mm. I haven't read that stuff. I just yeah. use it for my testing to standardize yeah. it. Yeah, you can also use it for training. I remember when I was at doing my fellowship, uh, my co-fellow and I were using metronomes and it drove the entire rest <laughs> of the department nuts. Because throughout the day, I just said, beep, Beep, be like, oh my gosh, it's I Mike and it. Matt again. They must that's be hilarious. So that's the other fun part is irritating other people. It's really it's a it's effective. That's fantastic. <laughs> cool. So yeah, so yeah. Mo mobility in the ankle. And then just yeah. yeah, you said getting strong in the calf, get strong in your whole yeah. kinetic chain, work on your glute the strength, work on your hamstring strength. Awesome. Yeah. Last thing we have to talk about shoes because we're yep. Dr. Sverney, we're talking about the art and science and stuff that we put on yep. our feet. Yep. We have kind of touched this topic before. I don't remember what episode yeah. it was, but I think it's worth talking again. Let's talk about what what kind of footwear may or may not load the Achilles more. What what might be helpful for someone with Achilles tendinopathy, uh, kind of in that realm. So biggest things, the first one I'm going to say kind of depends on the person, but having a higher heel drop can oftentimes be something that unloads the Achilles if you actually have short calves, Right. So having something like 10, 12 millimeter drop, heel drop, which is the difference between the front and the back of the the, uh, the shoe, can sometimes re make it, you don't need as much calf length to get forward. And so that can take a little bit of pressure off the Achilles. Some people that can irritate it more depending on if you're having issues from a from compression or stretch. So don't as always assume a higher heel drop shoe will correct that, but that can be something that can take some load off. So you know, Brooks Adrenaline, a lot of Mizuno shoes do really well. The Wave Rider is a really good one. The Asics, uh, was it Nimbus Light 3? Yeah, a lot probably, of Asics has a 10, 10 yeah. to 12. So 10 to 12. Yeah. Um, the other, you know, we, we talked about this. There's some research on this as well, that having a shoe that has a little bit of arch support or medial support can be really helpful. I don't know why I just grabbed the racing flat. Um, <laughs> But this isn't quite, you know, again, Brooks Adrenaline, good example. They use the guide rails. This gives you a little bit more support back farther. But mm -hmm. having something that has a little medial uh, support here can be helpful just because you can, if if your source is eversion or pronation, it can be helpful to, re to give you a little bit more control over that to reduce some of that torsional force on the Achilles. And then Nathan's going to have more. But the other thing I would suggest and when I was having some Achilles issues, one of the few shoes I could handle doing workouts, because yes, I was still running and trying to do workouts, um, was the Saucony Endorphin Pro. And so having a, a shoe that's rockered, um, this one might be a little stiff. I would probably not use the Pro Plus. 
but having a shoe that is <laughs> rockered, um, maybe not that one. You're <laughs> just going through the library right now. I'm just going through the library. I, I, a friend of mine is borrowing my Endorphin Pro Two. I'm curious. I actually, but, yeah. I'm curious to hear yeah. why you say not not a stiff one. Um, it just depends on where the of... stiff. The, it's where the stiffness is. Okay, so that's yeah, why I'm giving there. a caveat. So usually you do. Typically, you want a, a stiffer rockered shoe because a rockered shoe, especially, will take pressure off the ankle. It will require yeah. less load on the calf, less load on the Achilles. And generally, you want a stiffer shoe because the more flexibility you have up front, the more you have to use your calf. The challenge is you have to make sure it's stiff in the right place. Yeah. So if you're taking a really fast, aggressive, stiff shoe that you really have to push to get through, that's probably not going to be the best option. But a shoe like the Socket Endorphin Pro that's got that really nice – why can't I remember what that thing in the front? The uh, Speed roll. Thank you. It's like, just call it they Toe call, Spring. Yeah, it's, it yeah. is Toe Spring. Toe Spring. But yeah, really good Toe Spring that rolls you forward can be a really good thing to help unload that. So the Asics Nusa Tri is another one that works really, really well. The mm -hmm. Evil Ride, the Glide Ride is another good option. Just has some solid Toe Spring that helps roll you forward so you don't have to use mm -hmm. as much Achilles and calf. Did I miss anything? No, I, th I think those, yeah. are the, those are the big ones. I think you, you yeah. talked about High Drop. For people yeah. who have a stretch-related, strain-related yeah. injury, the yeah. people who have compression-related injuries might have um, more issues with a higher drop. We've had yeah. a couple of people comment uh, yeah. that that they experience less Achilles pain with zero-drop shoes, and maybe that's because their Achilles issue is compression-related. Usually, yes. people would have a compression. You'd you'd know if it's compression-related if it happens more on impact. And you'd know mm -hmm. that if it's compression or stretch related, if it's more on propulsion and terminal right. stance. So that would be one way to maybe parse it out in your mind. But I think, yeah, I was going to throw out some rocker shoes. I think one shoe that's yeah. a little bit confusing, but I think works well for Achilles tendinopathy is the endorphin shift. Yes. Because it has a really, the speed roll is really nice because it's gradual and people can get up on it nice and easily and you won't need to like get over the hump. But it's a four millimeter drop. So that's where it kind of, depending on where you're at, you're going to have to try it out. But uh, the I think that the four millimeter drop is offset by the decrease in calf loading that you get from that rocker. And then I was going to bring up the glide ride just because ASICs did put out some stuff on their decreased calf demand uh, from, yeah. from their development of that shoe. So the way that they structured that rocker was based off of a study that was done looking at rocker soles in shoes, and they would measure the exact apex of the, of the forefoot rocker and kind of how they implemented that. So um, yeah, I think rockers can be a really nice way. And when you look at the endorphin shift, you get a little bit of that structured support on the inside of the shoe if you're someone who's having a little bit of a pronation issue right as well i even hate saying right. pronation issue because people attach that too much to that but i think people listen to us or the people who listen to this podcast probably pay attention enough know. to know that we don't yeah. demonize uh pronation at all uh, but there is that evidence that people with pronation related injuries in a history of that which can right. include achilles yeah. tendinopathy that can they can benefit from a stability shoe that helps right guide against pronation a bit so right. i think you hit hit all the ones that that i was going to say yeah i i would again caution the reason i was cautioning with shoes that are too stiff is every person does well with a certain level of stiffness if it's too stiff it's going to put more stress through the achilles and calf because you're gonna have to push to get over it so yes. that's why especially when you recover if you have achilles or you have an achilles issue just be a little careful with some of the the really extreme carbon fiber plated shoes, just because often it can be stiff, but also some of those foams are unstable. <laughs> so just, again, don't assume because it's rockered and plated that you're going to be able to get away with it. You're going to have to test it out. And certain ones work better than other ones. I was going to say, yeah. don't run in the meta speed sky. <laughs> You'll have to get up over the over the hump, yeah. compress the heel. It's just not a, not a recipe yeah, for Achilles tendinopathy. Yeah. All right. Well, there is yeah. our conversation on Achilles tendinopathy. We tried to hit a lot of the topics going from what is the, what is the Achilles tendon? What does pathoanatomy look like? What are some mechanism, mechanisms of injury, treatment options, all that stuff? Again, this is not a substitute for medical advice, but we do hope that this was helpful. And 
if you're having Achilles tendinopathy, find a running PT in your area to, to work with because they would love to help you out. A lot of times it doesn't take a ton of times in the clinic if you're a dedicated person because a lot of it is just learning, hey, what is causing this for me and what do I need to do? And if you're willing to stick to a program, they can just, like a lot of times when I'm working with dedicated runners, I'll see them maybe once a week for like two to three weeks and then I'll send them out for a month with a program. And then they'll come back, we'll check some stuff, and then we'll send them back out. And I'm just kind of checking in that way. So you can get a lot of benefit without having to do a lot kind of in person. So if you're having this issue, I would find a PT uh, in your area, especially if they can work with runners. But even if they don't, believe it or not, they'd probably be able to help you. Uh, so that would be a good thing for you. All right. And if they tell you, and any medical professional that just tells you to stop running, go get a new one. Because <laughs> these these can be rehab. Yeah. When you say stop running, you mean stop running forever. Yes. 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 Yeah. You not stop running forever. You might have to stop running yeah. for a little bit. For a little bit. Yeah. Yep. But forever, I, go find a new person. Yes. I know I said before you can run and not run, and right. they did the same. But those people who were allowed to run still had periods where they didn't run because of their right. symptoms. Anyway, right. too many caveats. We're yes, going to wrap sorry. Yeah. We're going to we're going to wrap things up here. This was episode number 70. We talked about a lot of stuff today, but I think the most important that we want to highlight before we kind of wrap things up fully is just a, re a reminder to go check out meganswings.org just to learn more yep. about what they do as an organization. We're excited to be supporting them this month and we're excited to do more giving in the months to come. If you like what we're doing, please take 10 seconds to go leave a uh, what's it called? A rating, rate us. Review. Tell, review. Us some, yeah, review us, whatever it is, yeah. on the podcast app that you are listening on. If you're on YouTube, you can subscribe and we would we would love to continue interacting with you on this platform. Check out what we're doing on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check us out on our website, docsfriending.com that has most all of our up-to-date uh, reviews and everything else that we're doing. So we are excited for next year. This is the last one of the year. Matt, happy new year. Yep. Happy new year. And we'll talk. How, in... did, this... Go ahead. How did this get to an hour? I thought we, we were like, this is where to keep this short, but as usual, know. it's super long. So when we talk about keep the it, stuff, yeah. we, when we talk about yeah. the stuff we do every day, it goes long, yeah. but yeah, it does. Matt, we'll talk to you next year. Have a great new All year, right. everybody. I will see you then. Bye.